0: I'm sorry. These are the first and most important words I will say in this episode. I'm saying this because when I first recorded this episode, I messed up. And in so doing, I hurt someone who I care about very, 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 very much, Priya Saxena. Priya runs Equitable Future, a consultancy that, and here I'm quoting from the website directly, provides strategic consulting for organizations who want to reimagine their impact and deepen their commitment to anti-racism and justice. In talking about the Equitable Future approach, the website says, We'll pick growth over perfection, empathy over defensiveness, collaboration over individualism, and share our power. Thank goodness this is the equitable future approach. Thank goodness this is Priya's approach. Because Priya, I'm guessing had to dig pretty deep in the empathy well. Um, when I messed up. Here's what happened. Priya goes by they, them pronouns. I know this. We have discussed this at length. And yet when I first recorded This episode, I gave a shout out to Priya. You'll hear it later in the episode, but you're going to hear it now with they, them pronouns. When I originally recorded it, I used she, her pronouns to refer to Priya. I misgendered them. I know better and I didn't do better. In my haste and because of my inattentiveness to language, which pains me so deeply, I messed up. And whether it was my intention or not does not matter. The impact of my words caused harm. I hurt Priya by not honoring their identity. Priya, I am so sorry. Thank you for being the awesome, forgiving, joyful, elevated human that you are. For having the grace to hold me accountable and for being open to forgiveness. For being on board. For me making this mistake out loud. Pre and I sort of chatted about like, okay, so this happened. I own it. I did it. Now what? And instead of just re-recording it and like acting like it didn't happen, that just didn't feel right. That felt like, you know, whoops, you know, um, but not really owning it. And so instead we decided I would record this intro to give context because what you're going to hear later on gets it right, right? It, it uses they, them pronouns. So... We all mess up. We don't always have a chance to make things right. And so thank you, Priya, for the opportunity to mess up out loud (laughs) and give it another go. Going forward, I do know better and I'm just gonna keep doing my darndest to do better. Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can inspire and motivate and make our world more just, equitable, and inclusive. But too often, marketing perpetuates the status quo for a select few rather than disrupting it for the greater good of all. This show looks to change that. Join me, your host, Erica Mills-Barnhart, as we usher in a new era of marketing, an era of marketing for good. Hello, hello, hello. This episode marks the one-year anniversary of the Marketing for Good podcast. I didn't know this, so this was news to me, but um, 75% of podcasts don't make it to their one-year anniversary. That is a pretty uh, a high rate of attrition from podcast land. So I want to start today by saying a bunch of thank yous. First and foremost, thank you, listener, for listening and for sharing and for making it possible for this podcast to live to see a second year, and hopefully more after that. There have been so many great moments on the show. I was just going back and, like, re-listening to things. And um, it was a little like, you know, my birthday is around the same time. And so, you know, you go back over the past year, and you're like, oh, I remember that. I mean, during COVID, it's been a little not only like, I remember that, and a good tone of voice, you're like, oh, yeah, I remember that, too. Hmm." But it was really – it's just been really interesting to – um, against that backdrop, go back and just hear the nuggets of wisdom from all of the folks who have been so gracious and taking their time to come on the show and, you know, share their wisdom and wit and big hearts and smart thoughts and awesome tips and all the rest of it. So, a thank you to all of the guests for sure. You know, anniversaries and birthdays really are a wonderful time to reflect and, you know, kind of look back so that we can move forward. And in listening to the episodes, It was interesting. I I wasn't sure what was going to emerge, but two themes emerged that align with things that are happening, that are afoot, as it were, more broadly, that are really markedly different than a year ago. So in this anniversary episode, I want to take a look at those trends and then share an example of an organization that exemplifies... Or uh, yeah, exemplifies I guess offers offers an example of what it looks like when you are part of these trends and you're kind of incorporating them into how you're working. The first is getting real about diversity, equity, and inclusion, and the second trend is getting real about employee engagement much more broadly. Let's start with getting real about DEI. I, there's a lot of acronyms for this work. And so I just want to start by saying it's always a little dodgy to use any acronym. It is jargon. I advise against it, generally speaking, especially in messaging. But uh, I I know that I'm going to go there and say that. Uh, So when you hear me say DEI, that's an acronym for diversity, equity, and inclusion, something that we have talked a lot about on this show, also about being anti-racist, which is part of that work, right? I mean, a year ago, George Floyd was alive. And his murder, along with a wrongful deaths of so many other Black people, Breonna Taylor, Eric Garner, this list, unfortunately, goes on and on. It ignited a movement that was long overdue or amplified. It was, you know, it was already in process. And this movement has made its way into our culture and into our organizational cultures every single client I'm working with and talking to just in terms of other organizations, even if I'm not working with them, they're trying to figure out how to infuse their commitment to DEI into everything they do. Sure. In our conversations, the question is how do you include it in a way that's authentic and true, like not overstating what you're doing into your messaging and marketing. And, you know, Kate Slater and I talked about this in our episode but it's, you know, it's coming up again in the broader landscape and Merlett Jackson and Aaron Dowell talked about this in episode 22, which is the fact that washing isn't going to cut it. Like you just can't slap a DEI statement on your site and be like, check, we're good. We did it. <laughs> it's a good, those statements are, are they're a great start. And, and, you know, they say that, but that's all it is, is a start. And you might need to start there, right? Uh, I mean, this this, this work is a journey. It's not a destination. So if, if where you're at is a DEI statement, um, as a standalone statement on your website, at least you're you know, raising your hand to be on the journey. But if that commitment doesn't make it any further than a bunch of words on your website, it's not really a deeply held value, is it? I mean, you're not making a more substantive commitment to it learn if you're living your values, I mean, you learn if you're living your values, not when things are easy, but when they, when they get rough, when they get challenging, when you're grappling with how to honor them. I actually just had this happen. I'll share this with you. So after 10 years, Claxon is redoing its website. I cannot believe it's been 10 years, but on many levels. Anyway, it has been apparently. So we're redoing the website, which I'm super excited about. Long overdue needs to happen. And uh, we got to a point where we're trying to make choices about images. And because of how the website's coming together, we need images of kind of like, you know, that really focus on one to most, like three people, but they're not going to be a whole bunch of people because that's just not going to work. And so what I was struggling with as a leader of Claxon is how do I honor our commitment, my commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion? For me, I knew even though Claxon works with primarily... Um, predominantly white institutions, PWIs, or or organizations. That's where our work happens. It also, it didn't feel right to just yet again have another website where the only images, the only faces you see are of white people. On the other hand, it didn't sit well with me to have it be a whole bunch of people of color because it felt like uh, we risked tokenizing and also being inauthentic about where most of our work happens. And so, Gratefully, I know Priya Saxena of Equitable Future, who is a DEI consultant, and they graciously helped me navigate this situation (laughs) to find a solution. Priya so thoughtfully considered all of the above-mentioned things that I was wrestling with, and they made a set of recommendations. Not only did they offer recommendations, I just want to be clear, they explained the thinking behind them, right? So they allowed me to learn along the way, while also resolving this conundrum. So, I mean, just in case you skip the intro, this feels so important to me. No judgment. I skip intros all the time. Sorry, podcasters, but I do. I want to say again that this part of the podcast is being re-recorded because of a mistake I made the first time I recorded it. Priya goes by they, them pronouns. And the first time I recorded this, not only did I get the name of Priya's company wrong, it's Equitable Future, no s. I also misgendered Priya by using she, her pronouns. Priya is a gracious human, thank goodness. Uh, Held me accountable by pointing out what I had done and the harm it had caused and then opened the door to healing. So thank you, Priya, for the lessons upon lessons, upon lessons, upon lessons that you have offered me on anti-racism and along my DEI journey. Again, I am so sorry. And we're seeing more companies start to speak up about things, you know, things that affect people of color disproportionately and negatively, like voter suppression. We just saw that happen. And more leaders are they're stepping up and saying, we need to go on this journey. I mean, the mere existence and proliferation of DEI statements is markedly different than a year ago. And although I worry, I mean, I really do worry that this commitment will fade, as it has so many times in the past, and yet this time it does it does feel different. So I'm hoping hard that this is in fact a trend that will become a norm. Like I I really hope and I don't know what the time horizon is but I'm hoping it's sooner rather than later that it is the norm. It was almost to be taken for granted that you will not just select the DEI statement on your website, but that truly organizations are living into that and it's part of the culture. So I'm hoping it's not a, a fad that'll fade, um, that it is a trend that will then become a norm. So that's the, the first thing that, of course, we're all seeing that play out in so many ways in our society. But definitely, when you look at the episodes from the past year, has been a theme. And then the the second trend is, is around broader employee engagement. And part of why I'm actually optimistic that diversity, equity, inclusion might become a norm is that employees are, they're expecting it, they're demanding it, and companies are paying attention to that. So employers are being engaged more broadly in efforts around brand purpose, uh, which, you know, this can be a, a piece of, of that, also in terms of strategy and just, you know, places where, it has been more siloed. That work has you know lived in the C-suite or like with the marketing team or you know with HR and but it is becoming a horizontal um, rather than a vertical. So I'm hoping that this will lead to organizations finally getting serious about unleashing one of the most overlooked marketing superpowers that's available, doing the work to come up with consistent messaging and giving employees a consistent way to talk about the organization. In most organizations, if you ask 50 different people to answer the question, what do you do? Or what does your organization do? You're gonna get 50 pretty different answers to that question. And this is a total missed opportunity because what we know still to this day, word of mouth marketing, which can happen, I mean, let's just clarify, word of mouth can be like, you and I are chatting word of mouth, but it also plays out on social media. So virtual word of mouth, I suppose uh, we could call that. So, not bringing consistency to this. It's like, let's see, you know, if you've ever watched it rain and you're like sitting by a swimming pool, which that's not a great combo, but let's roll with it. You know, it's the difference between like little drops of rain, you know, all, uh, all over the pool. So they're having a little bit of an impact, but imagine if you brought all of those together into a great, one great big droplet of rain and boom, that landed in the pool. That impact is deep and it's broad and it's focused energy, right? It's like somebody doing a cannonball into a pool really, which I think we all have uh, had the pleasure of being poolside when that has happened, if not doing it ourselves. So that's the difference, right? It's like, why not harness all this energy? It's happening anyway, but harness it so that it can advance your organization um, in a way that is consistent and compelling and, and all of those things. It is, I mean, it is widely acknowledged. The word-of-mouth marketing is one of the most powerful forms of marketing. And yet, interestingly, most organizations don't like actively invest in it. It's sort of like acknowledged. But then the thinking is you're like, what would that mean? And then you, you have this resource. And again, in, increasingly, and Akhtar Bacha talked about this and he talked about his book, employees are motivated by purpose and by the overlap, you know, between their individual purpose and the company's purpose. So it's like this first resource is sits there. And it's, I mean, it's like you know, it's like Clark Kent before he becomes Superman or, or it's like when Octavia Spencer and Melissa McCartney McCarthy, Melissa McCarthy. Yeah, that's right. I think. Well, okay. Thunder force is this new superhero movie that came out with those two in it. Watch it. If you haven't already, it's delightful, but it's like, you know, they were amazing and awesome and then got the superpower. And with that unleashed, you know, was so much more powerful. It's a similar thing. So that's another, that, that deeper, broader employee engagement also seems to be a trend and was a theme in the interviews and in the conversations I had with guests over the past year. So if you're committed to diversity, equity, and inclusion and being proactively anti-racist and you see the value in investing in word of mouth marketing, you would invest, you would invest in the creation of two things. So a set of identity statements, we'll talk more about that. And also investing in creating a culture where everyone in your organization has the superpower to drive word of mouth marketing because there's consistency in terms of how people respond to the question, what does your organization do? So I talked about the identity statements in episode twenty seven, but just let's review, because you've heard these words before, but different people talk about them and use them differently. So, in the framework that that I use, you have um, you have <laughs> in the framework that I use, which I'm very familiar with, I actually am not going off the script today. So, um, so that's making this, you know, a bit more ad libby, I suppose. Let's see if I can remember them. Values, the principles that guide your work vision, where you're going and why purpose, why you as an organization exist and then mission what you do and how you do it. And it's, you know, it is a little, that's a little bit different sometimes. So it's sort of like the mission statement needs to have the why and the what and the how, and that just Weighs down your mission statement. It's like asking one statement to do all of these things, and then we see like semicolons. It's super long run-on sentences, and you're like, it has to do everything. Whereas if you split these things apart, and you remember this is meant to be the essence of who you are as an organization, that's what these—that's a job of these statements. Then it kind of frees—you know frees up some energy, as it were. So, how exactly do we get to these statements and empower folks to use them? Right. So that's the the part two to this. So I said I was going to share an an example. And the example that I want to share is of the Evans School of Public Policy and Governance at the University of Washington, where I have the great good fortune uh, to be on faculty. We recently got a new dean, Dean Jody Sanford. And she, before she even started, said, you know, I, I really want to be clear about our purpose, about what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so I got to be part of the process where we articulated our identity statements. And so those are optimized to be read, not said. And this is an important point. I mean, oftentimes we write this set of statements and they are optimized to be, like I said, read, not said. Well, then we, you know, then we ask folks to, you know, use them as the elevator pitch or whatever. And of course, you know, they sound like robots unless you're doing like a stand and deliver you're like giving a speech or something, then then you could kind of read them on you know, not. So you have to be intentional about that translation from written statements to a verbal response or a more casual response. Again, this like virtual word of mouth idea. So let me share with you, I'm going to give my version of the translation from these uh, very powerful statements. So now when somebody asks me and, and I love having this language, to be honest, I've been associated with the Evan school. Well, I went there. It's not my alum, but you know, taught, taught there and served in various capacities for like 15 years and haven't, I've, I just haven't ever felt like I had this language. So it, you know, I'm living through the experience, which I don't get to do very often. So it's uh, pretty cool of how empowering it is um, to have this language. So now you know, if you were to say, so you're at the Evans School, like, what's the Evans School about? I would say, really fundamentally, what we're focused on, our mission is to co create solutions to pressing societal problems, right? And we do that by educating leaders, generating knowledge, and hosting communities, again, in service to co creation, because we exist as a school to inspire public service and democratize public policy. And I'm happy to like talk more about what those, you know, sort of lofty ambitions mean. Um, But when you get down to it, you know, what we want to do, our vision is of inclusively built societies powered by collective wisdom, brave leadership and rigorous action. So that's, you know, that's where we're going and why. And that's kind of about how and how we do and just, you know, in case it's of interest to you, uh, the, the Evans School's values are equity, courage, and service. And so there's like a direct correlation between this idea of co-creation and our commitment to equity and to service, which we just we define as, you know, being committed to discovering and daylighting disparities, taking anti-racist action, and to dismantling systems of oppression. At, you know, different people define equity differently. But for us at the Evans School, that's how we define it. And then service is that we have a responsibility to think beyond ourselves and act to uplift all. So would I say all of that? I don't know. It would depend on how interested they looked after I said, you know, what we're about is co-creating solutions to pressing societal problems. And if they're like, eyebrows went up and that seemed interesting, I would go on. If I got like, you know, (laughs) no reaction, they're like, whatever, co-creating, blah, blah, blah. Then, you know, we would would move on to talk about the Seahawks and whether or not Russell is going to stick with us or not. So that's an example of the statements and how they can, you know, how they can work uh, in a, in a verbal setting. So in the more casual the setting, the more casual you would, you know, you would want your delivery to be. So now let's get super tactical because it's like, that's all well and good, Erica. Thanks for the example. But how do you get from maybe where you are right now? to and engage employees and external stakeholders as well, by the way, like a uh, broad engagement to that distillation of essence. So at the Evan School, and this is pretty standard, we sent out a survey to all the different stakeholder groups. So faculty, staff, students, alumni, other members of the community, right? But they all had an association with the Evans School. And just to be clear, like, <laughs> it wasn't like, what do you think the mission statement would be? Oh, no. Um, we deconstruct to reconstruct so what you're asking for is input actually on individual parts of speech. What adge- what adjectives would you use to describe the school today? What adjectives do you hope people will use to describe it five years from now? That allows you to see how far you know, uh, you might need to, to go. How big is that gap? What verb best represents the change that we're committed to creating the world, right? So it's a very like laser targeted set of questions, and I will say, like, I've done this, you know maybe hundreds of times at this point, but definitely dozens and dozens. People love filling out this survey. They're like, parts of speech, yay. Uh, they've also said like, that was hard. I'd sort of forgotten what adjectives were. <laughs> but in general, every client I work with gets like really great engagement on that and people enjoy it. And therefore, wherever you land with the statements, you know, pe- the, the adoption of them tends to go really well. Also, so, at the, so sometimes, you know, you, you can just do the survey and stop there. Other times, you're going to want to get more qualitative input, so kind of focus groups. At the Evans School, because of Dean Jody's um, work, we held World Cafes, which are sort of a, a variation on focus groups. And... This was because, you know, for her, this wasn't just about she didn't come to me and say, we want to try word of mouth marketing. She came and spoke with me and others and said, I really want us to be clear on who we are going forward. So this, you know, these statements are being operationalized throughout the entire organization. And with that in mind, um, you know, she, she wanted to get this deeper sense of perspective. So that was another way that we gathered data and that gave us uh, like a lot of information both depth and breadth of information that then along with a few other folks want to give a shout out here to Katie and Marie and Ben and of course Dean Jody you know we started working on drafts and we'd work on drafts and then we'd circulate them to key inputters and decision makers so They'd give their impact we, their input we'd refine and then we tweaked and we tweaked and eventually and you can you will be able to feel feel when you're done and these the sentences are complete and the statements fit together. You know, oftentimes when I'm asking for input, well, I never say, what do you think? I often say, what do you feel? When you read those statements, how did it make you feel? Because that gives you different and more actionable insight. So like I said, now we're like we're turning this into action. You know, we're revamping syllabi and learning objectives to be truly anti-racist. We're assessing research and community engagement, tuition, financial aid. I mean, this list goes on and on and on. And like everything is being run through the filter of these statements. So is everybody busting out pom-poms at the school? Like, yay, I get, you know, new language. No, change is hard and this is change. But we are hearing things like, I see these statements and I feel proud to be an alum. You know, I feel a renewed sense of energy and commitment as a staff member or faculty member. You know, quite a few folks have said they made me tear up in a good way. Right. So that's a type of feedback um, that we're getting from that process. And there does seem to be, you know, clarity and alignment around this, which is, you know, in terms of benefits of this type of engagement and doing this way that those that happens every time. Right. When I talk to clients after they're like, we have so much clarity and we have alignment. So. This is what we're up to. And now at the Evan School, we need to do this translation bit. Right, so it's one thing to have the written statements again, but it's another to kind of get everybody personalizing those statements and to drive the word of mouth marketing. So that when folks say, "What does the Evan School do?" There's some consistency to what their response is. I'm hearing naturally uh, lots of folks gravitate toward that verb, co-create. Just hearing that pop up a ton. Um, So we'll probably be looking for some consistency in that regard, and we'll get there. And we'll have to create intentional space. And (laughs) every time I work with a client, they're like, do we have to do role play? And I'm like, yeah, let's do role play. And they're like, I hate role play. I'm like, I get that. And yet, um, we do it in a specific way, so it's kind of fun. But the reason that I'm such a fan of that is because, you know, you can create safe space to play with the new language, which is, you know, a a much kinder, more compassionate way of thinking about doing that translation, because change is hard. You have to proactively facilitate it. You can't just expect... Folks to like gleefully change change up their language, it just usually doesn't happen. But you can, however, create uh, create that space. And, and you're not ever going to be like, you know, thou shalt help with word of mouth marketing. But because employees were invited into the process, they tend to feel really invested in the outcome and open, open to that change so long as they are supported. And, you know, also a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion means a commitment to your employees, current employees, and especially employees of color and other folks who often feel marginalized. So if you want to turn your DEI statement into a culture that's living that statement, I, I highly recommend and, and encourage you to consider revisiting your identity statements, mission, vision, values, purpose, and including everyone in that effort. I know it sounds like, oh, maybe overwhelming and dodgy, but you're going to unleash this marketing superpower um, and have uh, folks feeling good about it along the way. You know, right now things are tough. We're, we're emerging from COVID, but there's a lot of uncertainty. Most folks are pretty burnt out feeling pretty fragile. And You know, as a leader, you have to move forward with compassion and a sense of urgency and that that is not an easy balance. Um, COVID has burned a lot to the ground for better or for worse, a lot to the ground. It has forced our hand in a lot of ways. And, you know, and it's wake we're left with a lot of questions about how, how to move forward. And that, that path is not always clear. But one thing does seem clear from where I sit um, at the one-year anniversary again of this podcast, which is now is a mighty fine time, an excellent time to define and refine your values, your vision, your purpose, and your mission statements. Yeah, let language be, like, let it be part of the solution. Let words create some of the change you want to see in your life, in your organization, in the world. Uh, Words have energy uh, with intentionality and focusing them uh, in a specific direction. You know, for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. There's the action of putting words out to the world um, with intentionality and getting back what you are hoping to. So use words to stay true to your values um, your why, your what, your who, your how while well, unleashing a marketing superpower by driving word of mouth marketing. This is a virtuous cycle. So if this feels daunting, I totally get that. Reach out. We will figure it out together, okay? In the meantime, thanks again for being a listener. Thanks for getting this podcast, the Marketing for Good podcast. Do a, It's one year anniversary or birthday or whatever. Keep doing the good work you're doing. I'm so grateful for it. Take good care of yourself. Be well, and I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to claxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at claxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening and thanks for making our world a better place.